Over the last months, we've been talking about the main thing. What is the main thing? We've been looking at chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, and this is all part of a larger theme, which is happening in 1 Corinthians, which is harmony. I mean, how do we live in harmony? And this is what Paul is trying to encourage us to do. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a long time, a little over a year, and if you remember, We've been addressing, or everything that we talked about in 1 Corinthians has been relevant to what we've been experiencing in our world and in our culture over the last year. It's one of those things, it's kind of a crazy thing for me, and yet it doesn't surprise me because God's Word is very relevant to what we are going through in our world today. And that is, for me, it's an encouragement. It's something to be excited about, to know that this book, which was written a long time ago, and sometimes we think, ah, that's this old book. It may be old, but it's absolutely relevant to what we are experiencing today. For Paul, we have been talking about the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he actually mentioned this main thing, even earlier than chapters 8, 9, and 10, in chapter 1, verse 22, he said, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach the gospel of Jesus. We preach Christ crucified. And uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, this gospel became a stumbling block to the Jews. Why? Because the Jews, as was mentioned here, the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come in and to destroy the Roman Empire, and Jesus came in and died on the cross for their sins. So the sign that they were looking for was not the sign they got. And for the Greeks, the wisdom of God is folly, because for the Greeks, it's this power over, be in control, rule, be in charge, be dominant, and, and Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome. That's the way Rome had peace, is they dominated, and Jesus comes in, and he serves. He comes under people, and he lifts them up, and it confounded the Greeks in their wisdom. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the main thing for Paul. Knowing Christ and Him crucified. Everything that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians, he always brings back to Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ. We even see this in chapter 7 when, if you remember... um, Paul talked about do your assignment. Whatever, whatever situation you are in your life, don't worry about getting out of that situation. Live in that situation for the glory of God. Do your assignment. And I, I use this illustration of this woman that I met way, 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 way back in 1982 when I had the opportunity to be in China. And it was a Chinese woman who had been in prison for seven years because of her faith. And her response was, Jesus must have had somebody in that prison that needed to hear about him. That is, that is doing your assignment. That is, you know what, my, what I'm experiencing in life may not be the best, but I'm going to live it fully and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Then as we continued in this theme, the main thing being the gospel Paul says these crazy things in chapter 9. First is in verse 19 where he says this, Though 
I am free and belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That that messes with me. (laughs) I mean, uh, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave, a servant to everyone so that I can win as many as possible. And then he kind of repeats that theme in verse 22 and verse 23 of chapter 9. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessings. Again, the bar is set way up here. All things to all people, that by all means, I might win some. Holy cow. How? How do you even come close to that? And it made me think, you know, we have the great command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have the great commission, go and make disciples. And it got me thinking, If I truly love God with every part of my being, my whole heart, my whole mind and soul and strength, and I love my neighbor as myself, if I truly live that out, then this verse would be my verse. I mean, if you want, and I know this is hard stuff, and I'm, I, but if you want a barometer of what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is a verse that can be your barometer. Now, this doesn't mean to be a shame thing. I'm not trying to shame people, but all I'm trying to tell you is what Jesus does is he sets the bar where it's impossible to meet without him. So as we wrap up this conversation about the main thing and Paul talking about our freedoms and our rights and Idols and all that kind of stuff are nothing compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the end of chapter 10, starting with verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul writes these words, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. And I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. 
Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There are four challenges that I want to point out from this passage for us today, again, as we wrap up this section on the main thing. And the first challenge is this. Seek the good of others. The church is saying, hey, I, I have the right to do anything. I, I have the freedom to do anything. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't say, no, you don't. He doesn't stop him. I have the right to do anything. He just says, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is constructive. And the Greek word that we translate as beneficial is a word that has a feeling of bringing together or carrying together or bearing in each other's burden. So yes, you have the right or the freedom to do anything, but not everything, not everything will bring us together and bring harmony. And if you remember, harmony is a big thing for Paul. He, chapter 1, I implore you, church, be in harmony. And we know that Jesus, he even prayed to the Father in John 17. Father, unify the church so that they may know that I came from you. The word uh, constructive is a word that means to build or restore something. And the metaphor there is of um, promoting growth amongst fellow believers. And so Paul is saying, yeah, yeah, you, you have the freedom to do anything, but not everything builds up your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul didn't say, no, you don't have the freedom to do anything and everything. He's saying, yes, but is it beneficial? Does it bring us together so we carry and bear each other's burdens? Does it build each other up? That's your barometer. So whether you're focusing on yourself or on the good of others is the issue. So seek the good of others. I've been reading a lot about revivals in church history, and I've been reading about this, the Moravian revival that started about 300 years ago, and the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is the denomination we're part of, has its roots in that revival. And it's interesting, as that revival kicked off 300 years ago, and they started sending missionaries around the world, there was two men that had heard about the slavery that was going on in the West Indies. And so they were going to go and reach the slaves in the West Indies. And they thought the best way to do that was to sell themselves into slavery. Talk about seeking the good of somebody else. Of giving up, literally giving up your freedom and your rights. And I know that's a that's one of those things that you go, wow, I can never do that. So I got thinking of maybe an illustration that was a little closer to home, and this one's really close to home to me. It's, it's my parents. I've mentioned before that I literally grew up in the youth group because my parents were counselors or volunteers in the youth ministry, and so I was going to the youth group in diapers. I mean, I grew up in there, literally. 
But I remember as a teenager, hearing, overhearing my parents talk, and a couple of times talk about the frustration about not being able to attend an adult Bible study, not being able to participate in this group of adults because they were involved with the youth over there. My parents modeled for me this seeking the good of others. And let me tell you, um, my mom turns 90 tomorrow. Um, she has so many people around her caring for her. My mom and dad spent their life caring for teenagers. And now you've got these teenagers that are now in their 60s and 70s <laughs> that are bringing meals over and checking in on her and seeing how you're doing. And my point is that if we seek the good of others, if you plant that seed, you will bear the fruit of that somewhere along the line. The second challenge is this. Everything belongs to the Lord. The church in Corinth has an honest dilemma. I mean, what do you do if you're going to an unbeliever's home and they offer you a meal and there's meat on the table and you're not sure whether that meat's been offered to an idol or not? What do you do? Can you imagine Paul answering these questions? That What do you do? And Paul, don't worry about it. Part of the reason you don't worry about it because everything belongs to the Lord. Don't get worried about what is right or wrong. Just be in the moment you are in. And if you're around unbelievers and you are stepping into a situation that may be questionable, step fully into it and engage with those people and love them and care for them. Don't worry about whether it's right or wrong, if it's a gray area. And, and, but if somebody tells you, yes, this meat has been offered to idols, then, then don't eat it. Don't eat it. Not because of your conscience, but because they're telling you. And so in their mind, they may think it's wrong or they may think you think it's wrong. So to serve them... Don't eat it. it. It's that simple. I think sometimes we get so concerned about whether something's right or wrong that we miss the opportunity that God lays before us. Or we begin to judge others or myself if they're a good Christian or not. The reason why we don't need to worry about that is because everything belongs to the Lord. This is especially prevalent as we think of different cultures. When you're around people of different cultures, they have different values and belief systems. It, you may step into something that may be a little gray area. Again, a story from when I was in China, this is the best example that came to my mind as I was thinking about this, is we, we were over there and we would have these dinners with government officials or with school officials. We were a Christian group over there and we had brought Bibles, you know, under the table and all that, all that kind of stuff. And we were all 21 years of age and under. We were all a bunch of college students. 
And we go to these big meals and they served alcohol. And all of us grew up in these homes where alcohol was, you know, you were a sinner if you drank alcohol. It was back in those days. And yet we were told that if you did not drink it, that you were, in essence, um, not showing gratitude to them. And it, so we drank it because we were wanting to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them. The third thing that I want us to see here, challenge is do everything for the glory of God. Paul wraps up this section with, with, this, with this statement. Do everything for the glory of God. So in that situation, whether it's eating or drinking, whatever, whatever you decide, eating or drinking, decide and do it for the glory of God. So in my mind, in my heart, I'm going, what brings glory to God? Right? Shouldn't that be a question we should be asking ourselves? What brings glory to God? This would be a great discussion around your dinner table. Or if you're hanging out afterwards and having spaghetti for our youth that are raising money downstairs, talk about what brings glory to God. Sit down with your kids or with each other and ask that question. What brings glory to God? Listen to them. Dialogue about it. Where, let's talk about it. But there's a qualifier here when we have this discussion. This, remember what Paul is talking about here in, this, in the context here. What Paul is focusing in on is this. The main thing is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. Um, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Paul does everything so that he can win some. Maybe, just maybe, one of the main things that brings glory to God is when I proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So now, if I'm asking that question, what brings, the good, uh, what, what brings the glory to God, like in my relationships, how, how do I do these relationships to bring glory to God? It may impact how I relate to my neighbor, especially my neighbor I don't necessarily get along with or necessarily like. How do I bring glory? It may be as simply as showing love to your neighbor, even if that neighbor is a hard person to be around. What does giving glory to God look like at work? If the main thing is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. What does giving glory to God look like in my school if the main thing is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. I challenge you this week to take that question and dialogue about it around the dinner table. The last challenge that Paul gives us here is in the last verse. It's actually in chapter 11, verse 1, but he says this, Follow my example as I follow Christ." This week is Holy Week, and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is our example. If I compare myself to most followers of Jesus, 
I'm doing a pretty good job. I am. I'm not trying to gloat. But I'm kind of doing a pretty good job. But, if I care, compare myself to Jesus, or if I compare myself to Paul, who is imitating Jesus, whew, i got a long ways to go. Remember, Paul said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. And again, that's our example. Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ gave up his life to save the world. Paul sets aside all his freedoms and all his rights so that he can win some. That's your barometer. How am I doing? In conclusion, this morning, as we wrap up this section of 1 Corinthians, and as we go to the table and partake in communion, and as we continue our journey into Holy Week and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, the main thing that I want you and I to remember from this section of 1 Corinthians is this. The main thing is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.